These guys, they only listen to vinyl or tape, but (laughs) they listen to it on $500,000 stereo equipment. Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, Paul, I hit the record button. So thank you for inviting me into your home. So I'm going to say we're at Paul's house. And uh, so we got all this live ambience around us. Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are today musically? We'll start with that. Where am I today? Well, I'm actually (laughs) just coming out of uh, 2020 where we didn't have uh, a whole lot to do live music-wise. And uh, so I spent that time uh, actually recording a new album of things that I wanted to do called Background. Okay. And it's just coming out now. And it's going to be, because CDs are kind of going away again, it's going to come out as a vinyl record. And uh, I'm pretty excited about that. And we're going to debut it actually in September because it's unfortunate there's like a 10-week lead time before you get the actual recordings. It's streaming now. Right. Okay. But uh, the actual uh, records themselves won't be available until about 10 weeks. So we're going to celebrate that again. I get to do it twice. Celebrate it in September as well. Layman's question here. Sure. When you, you recorded it and then you mastered it. Yes. And you get it ready for, you know publication mm-hmm. did you have to do anything different to get it ready for going on vinyl yes you have to remaster it for vinyl so you got to master it twice okay One, in this circumstance you got to have the guy know the engineer's got to know the difference number one and honestly, I couldn't tell you what that is because I know that, for instance, one aspect of it is got to take a little of the bass out because vinyl creates bass frequencies some, for some reason, I'm told. And uh, so you got to have two versions of the same album. And the, other, and the other problem, too, is we had to eliminate some songs on the record because there's only 21 minutes aside on a 12-inch record. And, the, and if you notice, you know, back in the day when records were real popular, um, most of the songs from radio were under three minutes. Right. So you could put a bunch of them on these records, 20 minutes, you know, six songs aside or whatever. Now it's only like four because everybody's lengthened the cuts. Right. And been able to express a little more, you know, what there what was ever going on in their mind anyway. All right. So you and I are about the same age. So I'm going to ask yeah. you to think back. I can remember the first three CDs I bought. I went to the record store. I bought a CD player. Yeah. And I went to a record store. And I bought th- three CDs that day. And I was excited. Oh yeah. And now, in retrospect, I, I, I miss vinyl. What What was the first CD you bought? What was it for? I don't remember. You know, the first CD that I I, I had the pleasure of working for Panasonic for about five years. I was a sales okay. rep for Techniques Audio Equipment, okay. and I remember the first CD that came in. What was it that? Was in nineteen eighty one ish. And it was a two-time sampling, $1,000 piece of equipment in 1981. <laughs> and that was, you know, two months worth of wage for some people. Yeah. But the first CD they had was a Van Halen CD with the song Jump on it. Okay. And the funniest thing we did was it gather everybody around the stereo at that time and put the CD in and everybody would jump when the music started because they never heard the lead in static you get off of a vinyl record. <laughs> That just tickled everybody pink. I mean, there was no uh, no noise. Yeah. My, the first three CDs I bought were, uh, so I went to JCPenney's and I bought a JCPenney's CD player because I was- MCS. In, yeah. That's yeah. what it was. Okay. Yeah. And that was probably Technique. It was probably Panasonic, just repackaged. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there it was a label on it. Yeah. And so I went and I bought it in Yakima and went down to, I think, Budget Records and Tapes in Yakima. And I bought um, the old, this is- this is the college mind. I bought uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Well, that's got to be in everybody's collection. Right. That's I what prerequisite. Donald Fagan's The Nightfly. Yep. I had that one too. And I bought Princess Purple Rain. I didn't buy that one <laughs> at that time. But, but yeah, it was, it was so cool. Yeah. But what I missed was like the album art, the liner notes, the incidentals that told that helped tell the story about the artist. You know, that's that's that, you're right, and that's something that was lost. And I always thought that iTunes would publish that right next to the 
album and you download that as a PDF file or something because they talked about that at one time. But it never happened. And the other things they talked about was that it would be on the CD. One track, but then again, you didn't have computers that could do anything about it until later right. down the road anyway. I mean, everybody had a laptop computer with a green screen. But it was you know. really, I mean, yes, the music might have sounded cleaner. It was, but it, 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 on the upper end, the Sonics were pretty crappy. Yeah. And so it took a while, even with the, when it got up to 48-time sampling and, and everything that went along with it, it smoothed it out a bit. But, you know, well, here's a, here's, here's the reason I'm doing the vinyl, too. Okay. I'm going to be uh, demonstrating, demonstrating. Well, I'll go to the meeting of the uh, Seattle. Uh, God, what do they call themselves? The um, Seattle Acoustical Society or Audio Society. Okay. These guys they only listen to vinyl or tape, but <laughs> okay. they listen to it on five hundred thousand dollars stereo equipment. These speakers, we're going to meet at the Genesis Loudspeakers up in Woodenville. Okay. And these speakers sell for $350,000 a pair. They also have the amplifiers and a, like a $25,000 turntable to play this stuff on. And the turntable is made out of rock or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing equipment. And so the audiophiles are going to listen to stuff. And that's you put a CD on there. They know exactly what's going on. They, they hate it, but they so they do everything off of off of vinyl, vinyl or tape or two track. And you tape. mean reel to reel, not reel to reel, not cassette or no, track. no, 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 reel <laughs> reel to reel. And oh my uh, gosh! So hopefully we're going to be able to uh, reproduce something off the new album I've just done that they'll enjoy listening to. All right, so let's talk about the new album. Let's go back. Let's revisit. 2020 because it's okay, so much sure. fun to so much fun to talk about for all of us right yeah, but exactly you, but you took 2020 and used it to be creative yeah okay yeah what tell us about the album where where was your inspiration what what motivated you to do this well i had some i had some things in the can that weren't quite finished okay and i'd never gotten around to i never had time to uh you know finish it up or and so I pulled them out and started looking through my archives, all the things I've done and been doing. And uh, I decided just to do some songs I like. And like I mentioned, a lot of <laughs> being a saxophone player, um, a lot of the music I do has ended up in what they call um, music scapes or things you go to the clothing store and you hear music in the background or the grocery store or elevators or, you know, music. Mm -hmm. And so... I just decided to make an album specifically kind of for that. And I called it background because background music. So it's, it's something you can, I think you can put on in the office, mm -hmm. work to without being disturbed and actually make life a little better. The okay. environment, you know, without slamming rock and roll or whatever thing that might distract you from what you're doing, but still add that ambience that you can work in and be productive at the same time. And you recorded this with musicians not necessarily local. No, I have friends in Europe and you know, England, France, and uh, uh, that use actually record things. You know, they're studio musicians that sit in the studio, and we talk about uh, different uh, songs I'd like to do, and they they sent them sent the tracks to me, and I picked and chose what I wanted to use, and. We've uh, made the music, and I didn't record my part here. Before we hit record, you'd said you'd been playing music for about 50 years. Well, yeah, I started <laughs> – it was an interesting way I got in the business. Okay. <clears throat> I was in high school band, and this is 1973. Was I graduated from high school. Okay. I was in the band room on uh, actually the last day of school. We were packing things up, and this guy walks in the band room. He says, hey, anybody here play organ? And I said, Yeah. I used to play organ and clar you know clarinet and the band, and he said, "Well, I'm looking for an organ player to start a band." I just gotten or just lost a scholarship to the UW because a wrestler athletic scholarship because I was injured in the state tournament, and so I was looking for something to do. I got accepted at Green River Community College, but didn't really give a rip <laughs> at the time. And, and you know, back back in those days, you didn't have to have a college education to get a job. No. You know, unless you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or some white-collar professional, uh, there's a lot of work that you can do. So it wasn't a big deal to me not to go to college at that time. 
And so I went down to the uh, practice place where the band was rehearsing, and they already had an organ player there. And I said, so he said, well, we already got an organ player. We don't need you, but do you do anything else? And I said, yeah, I play saxophone. I'd never played a saxophone in my life. Well, let me interrupt again. Why did you tell me he played sax if he had never played it? Because my sister had one, uh-huh. and I wanted to join the band, so I went and stole her saxophone. <laughs> All she right. wasn't playing it anymore. I love it. I love it. And uh, I, I got my clarinet teacher, because they're similar instruments. There's some similar fingerings to um, uh, write down what the fingerings were for me. I went home and practiced a little bit and went down and got the job playing in the band. And so I'm basically self-taught. Okay. But I've been doing it ever since. How do I want to say this? So you graduated in 73. Mm-hmm. And I can think of, and I can't think of what year the song came out. Um, Jerry Rafferty's Baker's. Oh, yeah. Was that 75, 76? Right yeah, in there. right in there. So, mid, mid-70s, So you yeah. were playing music. I mean, you just started playing saxophone. So, right. But that, to me, that song has this iconic... He has that lick. Sax. It's as bad as Careless Whisper. <laughs> so. Oh. We're going to, no, we're not going to edit that out. We're all have to endure that. Okay. <laughs> there are some iconic saxophone parts out there. But I also saw, and then, okay, so my question is, or I'll get to, rambling intro. So mm-hmm. Baker Street, and then I, we went and saw Bob Seeger on his farewell tour. Oh. Okay. And we saw him in Spokane. And I can't remember the name of his saxophone player. The guy passed away just recently. Oh, Clements. No, not that's Bruce oh, Springsteen. That's Springsteen. Um, I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, yeah. But Seeger had this sax player that was like pronounced in 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 his show. I mean, the sax yeah. player. Okay. But sax has kind of died off. Yeah, yeah. In, we, in rock and roll ish. You're right. Music. You're right. And and that's been, well, actually, what happened to the economy went in the toilet in around 1979. Okay. See, I, I tour. See, I went from high school to touring in, in, in bands all around the country in Canada. And um, uh, in 79, the economy went in the toilet, like I just said. And um, horn band, horn players were a luxury. Okay. You still need bass, still need drums, still need a guitar, still need a singer or guitar singer player that can sing and so forth. You don't need a saxophone player. But if you look at the 50s, saxophones were an integral part of four-piece bands. Then in the 60s, uh, the Beatles, you had uh, psychedelic rock, you had all sorts of different San Francisco rock and Mm -hmm. things going on. And in the late 60s, you end up with Chicago, Tower of Power, you know, uh, Cold Blood, the horn bands came back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being eight eight people, nine people to feed, you had to (laughs) charge appropriately. And move around, you had to (laughs) charge appropriately. And that's what the economy killed that. So, okay. Then what happened back in the 80s, synthesizers started showing up, and everybody thought their synthesizers sounded like a horn. Mm-hmm. I still don't know of any synthesizers that can sound like a saxophone. Okay. A real one. that if you, cause, And the reason being is because there's so much going on with your mouth and, and your tongues and, and the way you bend or um, you know decide to enunciate a note. Well, kind of the organic piece of it versus digital. Right. And digital hasn't figured out how to do that yet. They will, I'm sure, but not... Fortunately, not now. Okay. So, I basically became, um, I decided to become a jazz musician where saxophone was more pronounced. And I found out that as much as I love the jazz standards, I didn't think I was as good as the other guys actually playing them. So, I kind of went in between the pop, I call it pop saxophone, or um, where I take and reinterpret, you know, songs and put them out. But I've had the fortunate because of the different styles I've been learned to play, I've been able to get a lot of studio work in all different genres of music that wanted some sort of, you know, horn part in it. Who was a interesting name, name drop somebody that was interesting that you've, you've recorded with to you that they were interesting to you. I mean, they don't have to necessarily be famous, but what was a, what was an interesting recording session, if you will? I can't remember the girl's name, but she was a spiritual singer. Okay. Kind of East Indian chanting type music. And I did some soprano sax on it, which I wasn't as impressed with as it ended up sounding when it came out. They did something to it. (laughs) But uh, it was odd because the recording session was, a lot of people don't have a lot of musical experience or studio experience. 
And they had me come in. And when you do a saxophone part, you want to do it at the end because then you find out where the holes are to put notes in. You don't, last thing you want to do is be stepping all over somebody's vocals and, and, uh, uh, you know, detracting from what the main feature of the, uh, the track's supposed to be about. So I got in there and they had a bass part and an out of tune piano part for me to play to. I, I couldn't even tell what key I was in. It was because the bass player was a half step off of where he was supposed to be. And, and so that was probably one of the worst okay. and most interesting situations. I was surprised at the outcome. Okay. On where it ended there. Um, the other one I did, which was actually a little more successful, was I got called up to put a horn section together for a band from Norway. They were a rock and roll band, and they were touring the United States. And uh, I just can't couldn't fathom that uh, <laughs> Norwegians were familiar with blues music or rock music. Mm-hmm. This guy, his name is Orbo, and it's Ole Reinhardt something or other. I mean, I'm sure I should know his name, but. Uh, he was great. These guys were really good. So I had a five-piece horn section. I wrote some horn parts for three of the tunes on the album. And uh, this was in August. And then the following January, I get a phone call from Norway saying, you know what, you just won a Grammy. I said, really? And he said, yeah, we want to send it to you. I said, sure, why not? I thought it was a joke. And it showed up in the mailbox about a month later. And they call it a Spielman Prizen which is their version of a Grammy, just like Juno is into Canada, in Grammy Canada. United States, Brit Awards to England. So it was that was very surprising that he was kind enough to share their award with uh, the Sidemen, basically. So how did a Norwegian blues band find you? Well, that's another odd thing. <clears throat> um, I, was, I was the backup band at a church. Okay. And we had a, a guest singer coming in, and she said, you know, I played saxophone in the backup band. She said, you know, I know this guy is looking for some horn players. I said, really, what's his name? And this guy named Rick. So he was actually managing the tour for the Orbo and the Long Shots was the name of their band. Okay. And I got him on the phone, and he said, yeah, we're looking to help out with this recording section up in Seattle and session. And uh, can you put it together? I said, sure. Send me the tracks. I'll write the parts. Bring the horn players up, and we'll do it. And then a few months later, you get an award. In the yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool, actually. That's a really oh, I mean, well, you a know, very I, I, I thought, story the way it Well, if progressed. you think about it, too, the Spielman Prizen, they're put out, given out in Norway, which is great. Not a whole lot of them here in the States, though. Right. So I, had, I did have the opportunity to go to Norway and, you know, maybe live there and play music because all of a sudden you're famous, even though <laughs> of some sort. But... Uh, <laughs> I thought it'd be best to stay where I'm at. So, okay. So our show's all about Washington state. So yeah. why have you stayed here? What is it about Washington well, that's kept you I've been here? Very, I've been blessed in the fact playing saxophone. I've been able to travel the world. I've been to Japan, been to Russia. I've been to England, Spain, <clears throat> Norway. <laughs> no, I never. I never went to Norway. I've been to. I've been to uh, Denmark. I played in Denmark. Played Denmark. I could see Norway from there. You can see it across there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I've always liked Washington. Okay, it's. A, I was born in Tacoma, and Tacoma General Hospital, and uh, um, the climate and the people, and and it's got a great music scene with Seattle. I mean. You got to admit, it's been some good things that have come out of this area over the years. One or two, yeah. Yeah, a couple. <laughs> and I worked with Ron Gardner and Whalers back in the days. Okay. And, uh, that's another story in itself. We can. Well, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's jump to that. Tell about us. About 1981 or 82, a friend of Ron got a, I met Ron and uh, he was doing a, a solo album. This was after his, you know, Days with the Whalers and his Squire Shop commercials of, you recall that? Oh my gosh, I've heard that name in a long time. Yeah. Okay. And we were recording this album, and I was doing all the horn parts for it, and we got one, two songs done, and then it became December. This is early, early or late winter, and December came along, and he took a break from recording because he has a Christmas tree business. Okay. Well, unfortunately, his trailer caught fire, and he passed away. Oh. But uh, that was his 
that was there's three songs out there of Ron Gardner's that were going to be something they never became. Oh wow! Because of that, but uh, he did that every every year. He sold Christmas trees. Well, we kind of have the you know the area around here in Puget Sound area is kind yeah. of it, it was I mean, conducive to that. But that's one. Um, what do I call that? Step away from stardom. Right. <laughs> right. So well, let's go back though to Washington. You like it here in the Puget Sound region. Yeah. And when you're not playing sax, what do you guys like to do for fun and excitement? What's fun in the general Tacoma area for you? That's a good question. I do enjoy, obviously enjoy listening to music and seeing it. And, you know, I, I love playing it obviously as well, but uh, you know, I, I'd like the cuisine. I love to eat, as you can tell by me. Got one of those things. Yep. Well, so but, name a name drop. Give us a restaurant that you Omar Zano's at the Italian restaurant. Over by PLU. Yeah. Okay. I, I love Oriental food. They got a great down there on South Tacoma Way, the Korean and uh-huh. and Japanese food down there is tremendous. You right. I mean it's tough to get a bad meal down there because of competition, so okay. so are you a coffee fan? Yeah, I like. I love uh, that coffee. You didn't sell. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to live here. That's part of. The, you got I think you have to. I have think it. that's the rules. In this area, where do you go? For, where's a good cup of coffee? Anywhere. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, all right. Oh, that's funny. I uh, the joke I have with people is just don't say in, in nothing against the company, but just sure. don't say Starbucks because it's so easy to say Starbucks. Yeah, well, they're uh, God. There's a Starbucks down. They just built it down the road, and oh, yeah. Starbucks on this side of the parking lot, cross the street is safer with the Starbucks in it, right? Oh, yeah. uh, right across the parking lot from each other. Right. There so was, it's it's difficult. There's an office tower. There was. I don't know if it's still. I mean, the office tower is still there. I don't know that it's still configured this way. Mm. But maybe five years ago, there was an office tower in Seattle with three different Starbucks in the same tower. Because of the way that it was, you know, yeah. on the hill there. So, you know, they were structured. And I, I swear Starbucks has got it figured out that the average beverage is, let's say it's a 12-ounce drink. Yep. And it will take you X number of steps. So, let's say it's 150 steps. So, at the 151st step, we'll have another Starbucks for you. So, you're never out. It's, I think you're right. You know, Disneyland <laughs> did that as well with uh, garbage cans. Yeah. Every 30 feet, you'll find it. They did a study and figured it out. Yeah. And it's, well, yeah. Yeah. When I was on your website, I saw something, and I'd love to hear this story. You played for another famous person who happens to be a saxophone. Well, plays the saxophone. Uh, he's not a saxophone player, but he's an enthusiast. Saxophone enthusiast. Yeah. Bill, president Clinton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I got to play for the president. So how did that come about? Well, and did he critique your, did he critique your play? Unfortunately, I didn't get to meet the guy. We were supposed to, but he was, of course, always running behind schedule. We had a saxophone waiting for him to sit in with the band because it was a, I have a 17 piece big band I've been involved with for 40 years. Okay. And uh, this band, the big band's called the Kings of Swing and started in 1944 and it's gone ever since. And so it's big, except for last year. Right. But uh, so we were, he was going to appear at the Paramount Theater and then, then a fundraiser after that. And we were, we were entertainment while he was, uh, you know, in between him. Okay. So we kept people busy while they waiting for him to show up. <laughs> and so I got it, we got on TV and I was interviewed about, uh, you, know, you know, Clinton's a saxophone player and blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, we got a horn for him. I was hoping he'd autograph my horn and sit down and play it with us, play a song. And and unfortunately, it just never came about. But, you know, basically, we did get to play this, uh, for the president. And uh, he gave me a hat. Gave you I, a hat. I got a hat. Okay. Not the uh, T-shirt. I, you didn't get the T-shirt. You got the hat. No, I got the hat. Yeah, I'll show you the hat. Okay. It's the Bill Clinton Saxophone Club. I've got a little pin and a hat. The Bill Clinton Saxophone, saxophone Club. Club. There was such a thing. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Circling back to you liking Washington State. So, this is mm-hmm. a two-part question. As a musician. Yeah. In Washington State. Name a venue or two that you've really enjoyed playing at. The, as, oh, I'm sure you've heard this before. I don't know. Yeah, the Triple Door. Okay. Yeah, that's, got, yeah, that, that bounces I've, up. I played there with Brian Nova, who's a famous uh, jazz guitarist. And uh, that was probably one of the funnest times i mean they and the reason is they they have a great green room 
Okay. They treat musicians well. The stage is perfect. Okay. And these guys, they actually care how you sound. The biggest problem we find in a lot of venues is sound guys who don't give a rip. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to hear from you. And, and it is also, it works both ways. There's some musicians that are, you know, <laughs> jerks. Right. It goes in every industry. Come on, let's be fair. It's every episode. <laughs> so, I mean, I can understand where they're coming from sometimes. But, uh, you know, the, the whole goal of playing a performance is to sound as good as possible. Well, I would think you want so. people to appreciate what you're doing and you want to be able to do it and hear yourself as well as have them hear you. And that's one of the places that are just solid pro. Them and Jazz Alley are Jazz Alley? tremendous okay. as well. All right. If you're going to go see music perform, now now you're in the audience. Mm-hmm. Where's a great venue as a as an as an audience participant? Well, again, the same place, but if you're talking Tacoma, there aren't a whole lot of places to go right now. Not right now. You know, Jazz Bones is probably the top of the heap. Mm-hmm. There's a couple other places that are start venues that are starting to come of their own, but they haven't really, in my opinion, got the experience yet. Right. I'm waiting to see what they do. But, you know, it kind of depends on what genre of music you're looking for, too. There's a, I've had a chance to go, but like the Blue Note out in Lakewood's uh, a jazz, becoming a jazz club. Mm-hmm. It might be worth t- taking a listen to. Okay. And uh, what's it called? Well, you got McMinimins down there, too. Which have, is you, pretty have you been to the Spanish Ballroom at McMinimins? Yes. I have yeah. I have not been there yet. It's gorgeous. And they do a real nice job. Okay. And um, I was actually a judge there for a kid's summer camp, band camp thing, to see which band was a rock and roll camp they did. Okay. And uh, so it, it, it's, a, it's a great facility. Okay. How about a facility or venue you haven't played at in Washington? Is there one you want to play at? Is there some place that for you would be like, this would be really cool? That's a hard one. I've been around a lot. I've played almost every place there's a play. Okay. In Washington. Uh, um, I can't think of any. Have you played Benaroy Hall? No. Now that would be a good, that would be something worthwhile. Benaroy Hall. Now this is not I didn't even think of that. Not necessarily your genre of jazz, if you will, but no. what about the gorge? Well, that's another great venue too. Have you ever played it by chance? No, I haven't. I mean that would be just Yeah. I don't think acoustically it's anything. Well, it's a great spot to play music. Yeah. That's all there's to it, yeah. you know. Um Yeah. What there, else can you say about it? There's a little venue in Yakima. Um I don't even know about that. It's a oh, I can't think of the name of it. I should know. I want to say the seasons, but I don't want to say that and like emphatically say it's the seasons, but it's a church that they converted into a, a, a music oh. theater that's getting quite uh good reviews too. Interesting. Yeah. Um do you know, uh, have you ever heard of a, a guy out of the Seattle area, Jesse Butterworth? No, I don't recognize the name. He's a um, songwriter, guitar player, and he's got a band called the West Coast Feed. Hmm. And um, he's doing solo work. He just recorded his first solo album, and he recorded it at Abbey Road. Awesome. Good history. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he got a picture crossing the street too, right? He, yeah. He did right before the, he did right. They got home right before the pandemic locked everybody down. And yeah. he, he, we had an episode with him earlier and he was telling me about this, this venue in Yakima that he really, he did a live stream from there and he was really, as he appreciated that. Or there's the, is it the Kirkland Performing Arts Center? That's another venue yeah. I haven't played at. But it's, he mentioned uh, it in the same, same with, breath. Same with Burt's Place. Burt's up and it's a Burt's Place. Um, up in their North Bend, or up? Huh. I have to th- think about that for a minute. But there's mm-hmm. another. It's another place that yeah. you don't see much very often from them. But what they do, they have, when they do see something from, them, it's always really good players. Okay. <laughs> have you ever? You've recorded in, in Washington State Studios, right? Back back when we used studios and not our and yeah. not our Apple products. Yeah. Where where did you like recording at? What was the studio that for you was kind of a an interesting experience? The most interesting studio is one nobody knows about up in Arlington. It's owned by a private guy. It is gorgeous. Woodworking, just the state-of-the-art equipment. Um, big band recorded a, a Christmas album there a couple of years ago. And uh, there's not even a name for the studio, but 
they had designed this thing for musicians to come and stay there at cabins. Okay. And then you record and, and you know, live there for however long. Can you think of the guy's name? No, I can't. Okay. I'm th- sorry to say. No, that's okay. Because I think it was referenced in a, in a recent episode by um, a bagpipe player that we had a conversation with. And they let those guys record? They do. Yeah. <laughs> hey, th- this guy actually, I mean, for me. I have for, no doubt. He's great. No, 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 no. But for me, how I, I, I so we were look, you know, we're always, we're always looking for, for guests and all this. So this is my weakness. So I, my daughter sends me, Hey, what about this guy? Cause she's, she's the one that does a lot of the research. And I'm like, Oh, this is cool. So I go to his website and here's this picture of this guy in, you know, a casual dress shirt, jeans, oh. bagpipe on. I'm missing all the, the tartan. Right. And, and next to him or over. So he's standing here. And then over here is this tall guy with a stand up bass, long hair and a hat on. I kind of, I kind of recognize that guy. Hmm. And then over here is the guitar player. And, and he, so he was on, he played with Bob Weir from yeah, the Grateful I, Dead. And Don was, was the bass player. Oh my God. And they called him in to play. At the Moore Theater, huh. bagpipes with with Bob Weir and I. I used to go see the Grateful Dead all the time. Oh so, yeah, sure. So for me, that was like you played with Bob Weir. <laughs> you know, you just never know. It was pretty stranger funny. things have happened. Oh, I, I mean, know, but I never in a million years would have thought Grateful Dead bagpipes. But this guy mentioned that studio up in Ben. That's that's a good Mount example Vernon. of my theory of music and and getting jobs is. It's not. I mean, at a certain level, everybody's equal as far as ability. Some guys do something very well. Mm-hmm. Other guys do something else very well. I may not be able to do that other thing. But it's more of who you know. Sure. I did a um, – yeah, my names are, are horrible, but a bass player from the Black Keys. I talked with him. And, okay. And uh, he got – I met him at the um, um, Beck concert is what it was. Went and saw – not <laughs> Jeff Beck, but Beck. Beck. And he was – he'd just gotten – left the Black Keys to go play with Beck. But how he got the job at Black Keys, he just hung out at, at listening to music in bars and met these guys, walked in and met him. And he said, hey, come and play with us. Okay. And he got the job. Then he went and played with Beck. And he's a multi-instrumentalist. But uh, it's more about the, the, the people you meet. Right. And whether or not – I mean, if you can play, that's great. But you also got to be what they call a good hang. You got to be a guy you want to hang around with and, and suffer through the learning of whatever music that you're going to do, and as well play the music well. Well, yeah, unless you're a you know complete virtuoso, yeah. if you're an unenjoyable human being to be around, there's somebody else. There is that's that is exactly it. You got to remember that every time you play in live music, you're auditioning for mm-hmm. somebody. Okay, you don't know who. Good point. You never know who. It's like the situation when I deal at the church. Do you know any horn players? Right. Yeah. Or um, I did a, uh, I sat in with a band called Sweet Kiss Mama a few years ago. And right before they're going to a European tour, they were finishing an album. Mm-hmm. Hey, come on up. And we need a solo in one of our songs. And I just was out at a club one night listening to music. I said, great. So I'm on their album that they went and toured Europe with. And uh, it just it's just a matter of going out, learning your craft, and being a good guy. Right. Who are you listening to these days? Anybody from the – Right now, I, I, I hate to say it. I love Jessica Lynn's stuff. Okay. That girl writes I – mean, yeah, it's, granted, it's classified as country. Uh-huh. But to me, it's, it's uh, just great songwriting. You can't – every song she writes sounds like a cover tune. Okay. And she is going to be somebody here pretty soon. I, I can see it. If she isn't, there's a big mistake in the world. Her husband, Raymond Hayden, <laughs> has to be a good friend of mine. <laughs> Raymond the Connector. Raymond the Connector. Ra- everyone yeah. loves Raymond. Yeah. He's actually a very accomplished piano player, though. Yes. And he's yes. putting out some real interesting stuff here with this new, uh, it's called the Grieve the Astronaut album that he's. Yeah, they're working on. And, yeah. yeah I've heard some uh, takes of that and some really good stuff. Are you on any of those tracks? Not yet. Not yet. Jessica hasn't understood what a saxophone does in country music yet, so it's weird. <laughs> okay. Well, but, but what about, what about Grieve the Astronaut, though? Maybe. Okay. Nothing that I – one cal- collaboration Raymond and I did um, last year mm-hmm. was he had a Grieve the Astronaut album, just p- solo piano. Right. And he gave me the piano tracks to put something else over the top of. And so I, was able, I wrote two songs 
over the and change the names of them, even though they're his <laughs> piano music with a different name. Once I put saxophone melody on the top of it, it became my okay. uh, another name. So, do you play anything besides sax? Do you play any other instruments? Um, I play clarinet. Okay, and play all the saxophones, okay. and I still play organ. Okay, but not not so much. Not so much. It's been more sax saxophone. Yeah. Okay. No, you're have, well. You've obviously seen Jessica Lynn perform, mm-hmm. and uh, we we had her on as a guest earlier. Oh, I and, didn't realize. Yeah, and uh, I'll I'll share my Raymond story here next. Or the <laughs> and, but Great. but Jessica Lynn was on and just starting to get um, live music started up. Oh, okay, sure. And so, uh, do you know? I'm, I'm going to guess you know Troy Moss. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I played with him before too. Okay. That yeah, kind of that makes sense. So how this all I'll just tell this kind of weave the whole story. So I was on Facebook mm-hmm. and uh Steve Alamut posted Sweet Thing in the Stumblers video. Right. I didn't know who they were. Yeah. And I watched this and I'm like, this is kind of cool. Hey, I know the pedal steel player. He plays in the Twang Junkies. Oh, I, I, yeah. I know Mark. Sure. Well, what I didn't know was that Mark and I went to college at the same time at the same school. I didn't I never made that connection. Anyway, I reach out to Sweet Thing and the Stumblers to say, hey, would you guys like to be a guest on the podcast? And Troy responded back saying, we'd love that. That would be great. Yeah, he's, a, he's a sweetheart, that guy. Super nice guy, right? And so yep. I, I, he and I are on the phone. We're talking and we're coordinating when I'm going to have um, Terry, his wife, and Mark, the pedal steel, were the two people I interviewed from the band because they'd mm. never been on the radio before. So oh. they got stuck with me. <laughs> and then, so as I'm wrapping up the call, I asked Troy, I said, hey, can you think of anybody else I should be talking to that might be a good guest? You you know how you kind of understand how mm-hmm. I am and all this. And he goes, yeah, you need to talk to Raymond Hayden. Here's his phone. Oh, okay. And so I reach out to Ray. And Ray is a guest on the show. And and I, I asked Ray, I said, can you think of anybody else I should? And I think my phone storage exploded because he is connected me with dozens of people it's yeah. it's amazing ray is a wonderful f- facilitator it's amazing the people that he knows right yep and so i um so he goes well you need to talk you know he's very humble he's like well my wife you need she, okay so we, i we have jessica lynn's on anyway she's just went out on a little short jaunt to montana for a few shows just i think probably to knock mm-hmm. the dust off if you will right yeah and so she's going to play at a little winery in Quincy, which is 30 miles from my house. Oh. So my wife and I go. We're, we're going to go. So we, are, we get tickets and we go to this winery and Ray's there. So I meet Ray in person for the first time. I meet Jessica in person for the first time. Right. And great. And so here's this winery. they got this lawn out there and they've got a stage for the band. Well, the stage is about big enough. And I'm not exaggerating for the drummer's drum kit. <laughs> that's it so the drummer the drummer was on the stage yeah i've been there <laughs> and and jessica and her her bass player and her guitar player are on the lawn yeah okay i laughed i mean first off it was it was a comical setup well, you do what you got to do right. i guess right and then the other thing that i noticed though was they didn't have monitors yeah and it was all they were all wearing in ears ears and i was like i Anyway, so I ended up talking to the sound guy, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, Jessica performs. I don't know what, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't, I wasn't prepared for what I saw. Mm. I, she put off enough energy that she would have been on the stage at the Gorge. Yeah, oh yeah. And no, she was on a lawn in a winery. No, she's pro. That's yeah. all there is to it. She's, she's yeah. very entertaining and great music. Yeah. You know, she should be up there with the big boys. And maybe in time. Yeah. Maybe in time. So anyway, Ray puts on this event at Jazz Bones. Yeah. Right. Right. That's where Ray introduced you to me. Right. And you know, all the networking this thing. Yeah. Right. And so he's he's just he's he should get credits on my show for you know you know talent management. Raymond Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. He he knows just about everybody. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And he's super nice. Super nice guy. And a great guy. You're right. And uh, anyway, don't let them know I said that, but. Well, yeah, we've, we've all, it's funny the last few episodes, his name's come up a lot. I mean, we should, you know, I can. (laughs) Yeah, he has a big circle. He really is a promoter of live music. Mm -hmm. He wants to see musicians succeed. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's 
not only produced a lot of events, of course, he's a talented musician himself. Yeah. And he really does care. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between him and a lot of promoters out there. I mean, he wants people to do well. Right. That's all. There's no ego involved here whatsoever with him. Yeah. Well, and I truly believe that there's enough um, going around. It doesn't mean I have oh, to yeah. win and you have to lose. We can both win. Absolutely. Oh, we, yeah. We can all win. Everyone, there's enough for everybody to win. I yep. Mean, I go see your show. You come and see my show. We talk, maybe we collaborate. Not, no one will ever see me play because. I, I like you too much to torture anybody. <laughs> I am not allowed near a, an instrument. I can't. This is as close to a microphone. If I try to sing, th- this thing will melt. Well, that's why they put a saxophone in my mouth. They heard me sing I, once. <laughs> I, I don't. I can't play a sax. I I played the baritone in grade school, and that was. Oh, that's a baritone horn? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was that kid. <laughs> I thought going to say baritone sax, which no, is pretty cool. Baritone horn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's only one place to go with those, and that's. Orchestra. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. What's next for you? What's you got you got this album? You, it's streaming now. Let me right uh, correct yeah, if yeah, it's streaming. streaming and, and it's, it's coming on Spotify, vinyl. Pandora, all the streaming networks. Okay. And we're gonna like I said, get it out on vinyl. That's a big project right now. Right. Um uh, just I've got a matter of fact, go up to the studio on Thursday and go over everything with the engineer. Mm-hmm. And it's being done at Verge Studios up in Botha, which is a really interesting uh, place it's actually in the bottom bot- bottom of a guy's house okay which a lot of things are you know become but because studio equipment's gotten smaller and more i mean this this stuff state of the art incredible mm-hmm. yeah look exactly. what we're recording on look what we're recording on yeah and he has a full uh i want to call it sound stage slash video uh do music videos and whatever at really? that place yeah it's a tremendous place to record. Okay. George Vargasy is the owner and a wonderful guy to work with. And he's a world-class guitar player on top of it. Oh. So um, we're going to meet with him and they, I mentioned the speaker guy who manufactures these speakers. Yeah, I can't. Well, he doesn't, and if it's another thing, he will not sell you a set of these speakers Unless you have a proper size room to put them in. So what? So we're about okay. Let's let's recap for the audience. They're three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the pair. Yeah. What size room? I think it's like twenty by forty. You have to build. He makes the people that buy them build a room specifically to listen. You're building another eight hundred square foot room. Yeah. I don't know all the specs, but they actually travel to the different countries or wherever they set these things up and set them up for the customer. These customers are not anybody that we know about. They're way in a whole different league of I, I just consumer. Can't, I can't fathom that. Yeah. Well, look up Genesis loudspeakers on Facebook or yeah, the internet. You, you and the internet, yeah. You get an wow. idea. Wow. Okay. And they're, they're as big as me. I mean, they're taller than I am. Really? Yeah, they're physically a large thing. Well, it's so funny that, you know, everybody kept shrinking speakers down to these little, little, the smaller, you know, these little. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's, that's another thing I'm really disappointed in, in where things are going. You know, people do not have home stereos anymore. They're home entertainment systems. Mm-hmm. There's not two speakers and a turntable. Mm-hmm. So what are, how are they listening to music? Well, they listen to music through earphones mm-hmm. from their phone. Mm-hmm. And they, some sound okay. But it's not everything's not there, in my opinion. Well, it's, yeah, I've had this conversation with other people too. It's like if you go back and you look at like the seventies was kind of like a great era for albums that for, yeah. told a story, or you needed to play it in an order. It really worked from track one, right? Flip it over to the end. I mean, the yeah. album flowed. I don't feel that way when I nowadays. It's it's there's a bunch of great songs, individual, but there's no, there's no continuity in the no, way that's they're arranged. Yeah. yeah, and that's something I try to do with my stuff because I remember that mm-hmm. I, I spend time listening to the whole album all in a row. I make sure that there's nothing that catches my attention, and if you get through the album without being uh, disturbed or distracted, mm-hmm. you got the flow right. Right. And so it's a, you know, you have a pile of songs and you need to arrange them in such a way that they don't conflict with each other. Right. And, and it becomes more of a listening experience. And, and if you want to really concentrate on it or just put it on in the background music so you can do something else, it shouldn't be a distraction. 
I'm going to ask you one last question. Sure. I'm going to ask you to imagine you've got those Genesis loudspeakers and everything that goes oh, yeah. with them. Okay. You got yeah. the room. Yeah. You can have whatever equipment you want. Contractor handed you the keys to your room, if you will. Right. Here mm-hmm. you go, Paul. What's the, what album are you putting on there? What's hey. the first thing you're going to play? Probably Led Zeppelin four. Really? <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, yeah, of course, Dark Side of the Moon, you got to put on there, too. You but wouldn't you, put one of yours on? No, I've heard mine enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Believe me, by the time I get an album out, I don't want to hear it again for quite a while. All right. Because I've listened that to it brings... over and over and over again, getting it right to a point. All right. Well, we're going to come back to that. So you'd put on Zeppelin Four or Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, or Chicago Transit Authority, something like that. That was my. That's oh. probably the album that it, that um, I sat in my bedroom at home as a kid. Okay, with my little stereo, playing my clarinet to that album, trying to learn how to be a musician. Okay, and uh, that is probably that is the band that most influenced me to decide to be. I want to be a rock star because they had horns in there and they were cool. All I right. went and saw them perform and just you know that did, was it. Did you ever see Zeppelin? No, I never got to see Zeppelin. Okay. Which disappoints me now. But I actually didn't like the music when I was a kid. I didn't either. But I didn't, as I grew I'd older. It's, it's, I just didn't get the, yeah. the, the enthusiasm people had for it. I didn't no, dislike and, it. I just didn't. All right. I just didn't like, huh? It, I missed for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that was me too. I, I just thought it was, I thought you had to take drugs to go there or something. Okay. But. Uh, Man, the dark side of the moon. I mean. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. It is what it is. All right, well, you mentioned your music after you've done all this work, getting it ready and released. You don't want to hear it anymore. Right. What of your work have you done that you've come back to after a period of time and you go, you know, I really like that? Well, my first album, which was now about six years old, you know, up, up until uh, it was coming to a certain point when I decided I wanted to make an album for myself. Most of the time, I've always played with other people or played on other people's projects. And I finally realized that, you know, bucket list, I'm not getting younger. I should really do something. Right. So, you know, I didn't think I'd become Kenny G or anything like that, but I just thought it'd be fun to see what would happen. You don't have the hair for it. No, I don't have the hair. (laughs) And uh, anyway, the first album was called Virtual Insanity. Okay. And there's a number of tracks on there that I go back and said, and I think, hey, you know, that was pretty good. It's still new to most people. I don't think a lot of people have heard it yet. Sure. It's been out for a while, but it's uh, uh, it's not a bad album. There's some good stuff on it. I wrote a couple of songs with Jeff Lorber huh? on it. I've had uh, Macklemore's horn sections on there playing with me on a couple of tunes and... Uh, Macklemore's horn section? Yeah, he has a. He actually had a trumpet yeah, trombone player. Why and, can't I think of his trumpet player's name? Ah, uh, Yanwar. Yanwar. Yeah. Yanwar. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. They came in the studio and we got him to play with me. So very interesting. Very good. My okay. sister kicked Ryan. Uh, my sister, my wife kicked Ryan Lewis out of the couch, off a couch in there once. We were at the studio and. We were just getting done, and she wanted to go back in and sit down and just look at the studio one more time, and this guy in a sweatsuit was sitting in her way, so she asked him if he could move <laughs> over, not knowing he was Ryan Lewis coming in for a late session. That's, oh my gosh. <laughs> I love that. He was very polite. That uh, he was. That's, that's awesome. But uh, Are you going to be performing? You got anything in the works for, you know, at the time we're recording this, it's summertime. What's- well, I've been doing it. Actually, I've been having some fun because um, I'm not, I'm kind of getting semi retired. Okay. In a way. But I'm playing with some of my, uh, playing at a little pizza joint down here in Puyallup a couple of times a month for, it's been a lot of fun. It's called Wicked Pie Pizza. It's great food. It's more of a, a upscale cocktail bar. Okay. And the, the name doesn't do it justice. But uh, I have, um, the backing tracks plus myself and a percussionist. Okay. We play down there and have a great time. What about your big band? Big band, we're going to get back together in the fall and start going, getting back. We want to getting things going again. We've, unfortunately, we have to turn down some jobs. And it's all really due to the pandemic. You know, these guys in the big band, 
are older. Mm-hmm. So they were very concerned about uh, getting vaccinated and making sure it was safe to get out in the real world again. But uh, these guys, I've got guys that played with the Harry James Band and uh, back in the day playing with, and they're getting up there in age. Yeah. And, but they're tremendous musicians. Okay. And uh, it's really fun to learn from those guys. Well, what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Oh, some of the strangest gigs we played ever. Oh, you that's know? a great question. I did a job with uh, Carla uh, down at Carla Bana, uh, not Carla Bonoff, but uh, Karloff. Carla uh, Karloff. Borlas? No, no, Karloff as in Boris Karloff's yeah. daughter. Okay, and she lives in Palm Springs, and I went down to her house, and as soon as you walk up to her house, there's a giant fiberglass Frankenstein at the front door, and all this memorabilia and. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Boris Koloff, he, he got a Grammy for I, doing The Grinch That Sold Christmas. I did not know that. And he's, he went in to pick it up while well, his agent called him in to grab it, and he didn't want it. So his agent was using it as a doorstop for a lot of years. And after he passed away, uh, Carla wanted to go in and get it, and she made him buy one. <laughs> so she, they sell them for 150 bucks, by the way. If you, if you earned one you want any more, it cost you $150. Okay, good to know. But uh, that was interesting. I, and I got to play with a guy named Al Lerner, who was the original p- uh, piano player for Harry James. He was at this party. He was 90-something years old. And he was telling me a story about uh, they were at a New York uh, Judy Garland wannabe contest. Right. And they had to play Over the Rainbow over and over and over. Oh. And it was 90 degrees out. He was in no cover. And so it got to the point he hated that song. Every time he heard the song, he got prickly heat from then on. <laughs> so then he went off from Harry James, became Liza Minnelli's musical director, a number of other people, and finally was in Hollywood. And uh, who's the guy who was a scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz? Remember that? Do I do, that? but um, Ray Bolger? Ray Bolger. Ray Bolger hired him to be his musical director. And guess what the theme song was? Over the rainbow. So he came back. So <laughs> the bottom line is, I actually got to play over the rainbow with him. Somewhere over the rainbow. My gosh. It, it was one of the best times I've ever had. That's great. <laughs> but, you know, you just never know. Well, I was talking with Kenny G, and he, you know, he sold 28 million records. His biggest selling record was his Christmas album. Mm-hmm. And being as he's Jewish, it's kind of weird. <laughs> but, uh, he was telling me, you know, he's trying to break away from that stuff, but people won't let him. Right. He's, he's putting out other albums and trying to create some new music, and he's kind of stuck in a time warp because mm-hmm. he's so successful at what he did. Right. So you, just another irony, I guess, out there. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up. Where can people find out about you and listen? Oh, you've already said but all the streaming services, but. Website, where can people find out? If yeah, they want Paul to go Sa- f- yeah, Paul Sautel Music, uh, Facebook, okay. like Facebook page. Um, probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me or okay. see what I do. Thank you for your hospitality. Oh, my, my pleasure. It's been this, fun talking with you. Yeah, thanks. This has been a lot of fun. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll let you get back to your day. All right. Well, you do the same. <laughs> Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.